Welcome to the Healthy Podcast, where we invite you to invest in your well-being and unlock the secrets of vibrant health, peak performance, and wellness. Join us, Sebastian Mirau and Johannes Kettelhout, co-founders of Australia and New Zealand's leading wellness company, as we dive deep into the science, strategies, and stories that empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. Whether you are a CEO, high achiever, entrepreneur, elite athlete, health enthusiast, scientist, or self-improvement seeker, together we will explore the cutting edge of biohacking techniques and holistic health practices with world-class experts that optimize your mind, body, and spirit. With each episode, you will walk away with practical and actionable steps to integrate in your daily life. Are you ready? Let's elevate your well-being. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today with someone who is an absolute red light, infrared light therapy enthusiast. He's also my business partner and leading Clear Light Saunas International together with me. He has been on talk shows, health conferences, and online summits talking more recently, especially about light therapy. So I'm really excited to have here Johannes Kettelhort. Hello. Hey, 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 everyone. Thanks for the intro, Sebastian. Yes, I'm really passionate about this topic too, because it has so much potential. And I think many people don't know about all the different benefits that they can actually get out of different light therapies that are out there. So what I will do is I will grill you lots on this topic, because I know you have been into this for years and continue to research and new research is coming out and you know about that. So let's take it away. Should we start here? Would love to. That's fine. Great. Well, but actually, one one little question I do have is, you know, s since you also use saunas and all the rest of it, well, you sell saunas. Do you also <laughs> use saunas? <laughs> a little bit once in a while. No, kidding. I love saunas, like any type of sauna. I mean, obviously, a bit biased towards infrared mm. for obvious reasons. Any type of sauna, any type of heat exposure, but also cold exposure is just just amazing. And I think we're both Germans, so therefore there's, I think, a lot of that culture, heritage, sauna culture that we both grew up with yeah. and therefore absolutely love saunas. I'm, I do saunas and yeah, my passion, 100%. Why do you do saunas? What, what do you get out of it? Oh, whew, big question. The question is what I, but don't I get out of it? And it's mm. probably the social aspect of friendship and whatnot. Look, it's my go-to evening routine. Mm. Like I think winding down after a busy day. Mm. It is a social being. I mean, in the last few years with COVID, not so much. But I spend obviously a fair bit of time in Germany and other countries. And it's quite common to meet up with friends and spend half a day in a spa or a sauna center, essentially. Mm. Full-blown sauna centers. So I love that. And you can mix sauna types. You can do hot, cold, steam, infrared, and whatever. But my go-to place is my infrared sauna. And what I get out of it is relaxation. I know about heat shock proteins, right? So I think there's a health interest in really mm. making sure that you get your sauna session at least once or twice a week. There's this long-term Finnish sauna study that obviously shows like the more often you do use saunas, the more your all-cause mortality risk goes down. Like, you know, it's mm. shown to severely help reduce, I think, autoimmune diseases in terms of having a less likely, a smaller likelihood of actually getting them, like dementia and Parkinson's and whatnot. So I think there's every reason to really use a sauna if you have access to it. But for me, the biggest one by far is probably stress relief. So really activating that nervous system um, to help me calm down and sleep, mm. sleep improvement. Yeah, big time. 
from a cultural point of view, you know, I haven't lived in Germany for 20 years, but overall, I think there is uh, a difference in how you sort of walk into the sauna. So in, in Germany, if you would hang out with someone in the sauna, uh, like a friend, would you would do you wear clothes? Oh, yeah, you'd cover yourself yeah. completely in clothes. <laughs> <not kidding. laughs> there are actually people. Yeah, there, there, are, there have been these moments in Germany where you just walk in the sauna and you get these. I'd probably say older generation, particularly men, who sort of you know have that really serious expression on mm. their face, where you can you know you can just read from their face that they're serious about this mm. about saunas, and mm. it's not necessarily just fun, but it's. You know, they're proud to be here. Yeah. And if you walk in with clothes, you first get a look. And if you're in a very, very traditional sauna center, they'll ask you, why do you wear clothes? Mm. Right? So it really is to that extreme where people would actually tell you to get off your clothes, like go in there naked. Mm. And it's a mix of generations, like, you know, older people, grandma, grandpas, kids, six, seven, or whatever Mm. the age restrictions are. And then sort of obviously everything in between. And funny, I mean, in some centers, you even have science saying wearing clothes is forbidden. Wow. So, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, there's definitely this really strong cultural heritage that says sauna is naked space. And I think for some non-Germans or non-Scandinavians, I should mm. probably say, because they have a similar culture, yeah. that might be like, what the heck is going on here? But there are good reasons for it. There are? Well, I mean, in terms of, you know, you actually don't really want to make clothes in a sauna because, mm. you know, any type of... Clothing that you wear doesn't matter whether cotton, linen, or whatever. Mm. It sort of blocks your skin to some extent, either the heat absorption or sort of, you know, the heat emission. Yeah. And I think, therefore, it might actually block the pathways. Plus, you know, if you wear polyester or any type of plastic on you under heat, we know about off-gassing and the saunas. It's certainly not something you want to do. But you could wrap a towel around you. You know, it wouldn't actually do any bad. You know, yeah. You just have to make sure that you feel comfortable. But there are some funny rules, certainly when it comes to the European sauna culture, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I guess, yeah, for infrared, it certainly blocks that. that oh, yeah. Infrared I think that's a big one because, you know, as you know, infrared heats the core. Like, it's not really about the air temperature. And therefore, any blockages you have in between the skin yeah. and the heater is sort of a loss in efficiency of how well you can sweat. So, and especially if you have your home sauna, you know. Or if you have a private room, like day spas, there's really no reason to not be in the naked. Yeah. You know, like, or a minimum towel if you feel like it. But, yeah, you should be in the naked. What was your worst sauna experience? Worst? I know one. It's not really the worst one. It was, yeah. it was just awkward. And it was in northern Germany by the Baltic Sea. And some of you guys know the word Aufguss. Right, I think that's yeah. uh, it's a German word actually, but it's, I think it's also you know internationally recognized now. So you have an oven, and you know someone comes in and sort of pours water with essential oils or whatever on there. And in Germany, you have like a timetable, right? You got ten different saunas. You get a timetable on when the sauna master, sauna meister, that's the official name actually, comes in. You know, he'll do the aufguss and then he'll sort of throw the towel to really make sure that everyone actually gets the same heat exposure. And it was before COVID in a sauna that was probably 90, 95 degrees. So it was really stinking hot. Mm. Uh, the guy came in and he brought his portable speaker, like one of these Logitech boomboxes. Mm. So he put it in there and he put on electronic music, but not mm. like the good type, which is sort of more that you would find in electronic clubs, but rather like, you know, all these mashups, mm. kind of funny, funny vibes. There's a German word called Schlager, mm-hmm. which, you know, like I think older generation listen to is like the really this monotone beat with a singer sort of, and mm. then, then you had an electronic beat under that and he would put it up to the maximum volume. Ah. 
And then he would do the sauna office. And it was just the most weirdest experience because there were Russians, Polish, yeah. English, Germans, all sorts of nationalities in there. And it almost became like this little sauna rave. Oh, wow. With bad music. Yeah. <laughs> and it was got so hot yeah. that people actually had to leave and everyone was naked and it was really packed. Like there was yeah. probably in a room this size, which is maybe, I don't know, 15 square meters. Mm. There were probably 20, 25 people in there. So it was really tight. Wow. And the people... In this music, with the rave, stumbling <laughs> over each other, being naked, different yeah. colors. It's just weird. Like, <laughs> I still remember that. Yeah. I still have these pictures in my head. Yeah. Weird, but beautiful at the same time. Yeah. Like, yeah. True culture of saunas, I think. Yeah. I remember another story where you were interviewed in a sauna for more than an hour. <laughs> yeah. And that... And the sauna was on, and and I think you you got quite sick, or at least you know you could feel oh, that yeah. this was a long session, but you couldn't really leave because you had the microphone in front I of you. Definitely yeah. overdid it. Yeah, 100%. overdid it. Yeah. yeah, that was a good learning actually, like because you know everyone thinks like the longer you do the sauna, the better, and I yeah. think for certain for certain reasons that's the case. Like if you really want to do your heat shock proteins, and Huberman, who I will reference, he's a Stanford researcher. He also says like you want to get to the level where it's almost uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then take another three deep breaths and then go. Mm. But I think, like, depending on where you are with your health journey, and I think Dr. Mark Cohen, mm. he also said, like, it's more like a U-curve, right? So you can overdo it, mm. and people don't really know when it's overdone. And that was definitely overdone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Another one, another example, I was in Russia visiting my brother in a city called Kazan, um, before the war, obviously, and everything. Mm. And it was, like, literally this wooden sauna, and they put wooden blocks at the back of it, lit a fire on there was like a, you know, just a, just water essentially covered and they would boil the water, the steam would go in the sauna. They call it a banya, which is the Russian mm-hmm. type of sauna. No temperature thermometer in there, no idea of moisture, <laughs> no timer. Yeah. You just pay them three euros or whatever. And uh, it was so hot, like it's the hottest sauna I've ever done. And I got like definitely you know, nauseous and whatever. And wow. so went out and then there was this lake, which throughout the year has three degrees temperature. It was crystal blue. Yes. And then Russians would go in there for another five or 10 minutes. Yeah. And we did like two minutes and I came out and I was like, Whoa. it was way too much. But yeah. it's like, that's how, you know, <laughs> Russians do it. And I yeah. think it's, I still have videos here and it was fascinating, like mm-hmm. fascinating, but quite extreme. Yeah. But it was beautiful to witness that. And in fact, you and I, we had a sweat lodge experience. I don't know if you remember in New Zealand. Yes. It was it two or three hours in there? Yep. In the dark, intense. more or less. Yeah, that was intense too. Yeah, yeah. You really sort in of let go. In the dark, no yeah. drinking for no. two or three hours. Remember that? Like it was yeah, <laughs> lots of too people. Much yeah. Yeah, so I like that. Like, it's, yeah, it's cool. It's nice to understand that there are all these different types of saunas, yeah. traditions, cultures, and, and whatnot. And I think we've been quite fortunate to experience all of that. Because, mm. you know, like, yeah, coming from Europe, knowing here, yeah. knowing it in the UK, been to Russia, doing the sweat lodges. So that alone is quite a diverse portfolio or cultural experience when it comes to saunas. Yeah, it's amazing how old this whole culture is. It is really cool. And I think I would take it that because these things have survived for so long and people still do it and love doing it and it's a special experience and all the rest of it, I would think that 
there's something really, really important in there. Like this is this is a really, really good habit to nurture, I guess, because the health benefits are really undeniable. And and 100%. you know, and and so diverse too. Like it's also psychological. Uh, like you know, like like your psyche is is, is supported mm. by that. You know, so it's a, it's a mental and emotional support as well as great for the body. Oh, definitely. And I think it's almost like I mean, if you have the luxury of actually having a sauna at mm. home, wonderful. If mm. not, maybe try to you know find a health club or mm. a gym that actually has it. But they're also portable sauna solutions, so I think any type of really raising your core temperature is actually a great way. But what what I was going to say is like I wrote an ebook actually on how you can try to well hack or improve your day to day life to actually maximize sauna times, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a big one was really like finding a peer group, finding friends that you can do it together with, to bring that social aspect in, you know, do it with your partner, child, friend, whoever, you know, come together to do it. But there are other ways. Like, I think it's just part of making it a good health habit and a good routine mm. because the research is undeniable. Mm. And, you know, yes, there's a lot of unknowns, you know, how effective is infrared with this traditional? Is it really the sauna or is it actually making the habit and making the time to actually look after your body and, you know, do okay. that? And I think, you know, there's a lot more research coming into this, I'm sure. But without a doubt, if you make the time, it's great for you. Psyche, yeah. body, feeling, skin, whatever, like you name it. Hmm. Well, that's good to know. And that sort of leads into a more recent therapy, which is called light therapy. And I guess maybe it hasn't been actually all that recent, but, but it certainly has become much more popular and a topic that people talk about. And so you... You can, you can hopefully explain a little bit like wh- where does light therapy start and stop because that's not infrared as such part of infrared but it goes further and you know has certainly been around in terms of you know getting into the sun and all the rest of it but yeah if if you could talk about that in this session that would be amazing because I think it's a topic that is becoming really really topical and not many people know really sort of like the width of what, what this actually can be oh 100% I think it's one of these areas that has been around for a little while, but I think it's just really gaining a lot of traction with more and more research being involved. I don't even know. I mean, I'm sure there is a definition of light therapy, but I wouldn't dare to define mm, it because mm, mm. you could just argue any type of light used in a health or therapeutic way is called light therapy. And that's probably the closest to it. And I think, you know, we really have to look at the different types of light we have. The sunlight, which is a composition of UV light, of infrared light, of, you know, blue light, of whatever. And the chain is actually even throughout the day. So in the morning, you'd have more sort of red light, orange light with this, the sunrise, you know, around the middle of the day when we actually don't see the sunlight. Like we don't see it. You know, yes, you see it's bright, but you can't actually see the sunrise, mm-hmm. can you? So mm. it's a lot of blue light actually in the air, which is great too. At night, you don't want to have blue light, no matter whether it's the sun or whether it's from LEDs or whatever, right? And then we get red light, we get UV light, we get, you know, even seasonal affective disorder, which is just really bright light. We get any type of light, really. So I think LED light therapy or light therapy in general is probably the field that really looks at the effects of light on health. Hmm. And I think that's probably where I'd leave it. Okay. the overall definition. All right. Cool. And how can you... Make the most out of light yourself. What would you do? Ooh, I um, Look, I think it all starts with understanding what light is and what it does. And I think Huberman, who's a Stanford researcher, is amazing podcast. He's How do you spell that? H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N. He has a podcast, too, actually, really, really well-known one, really big one. And he did a two-and-a-half-hour episode on light. Highly recommended, too. It's just cool. really going in-depth. He sort of picks up probably five to ten various studies and just really shows where the latest science is at. Yeah. He's not affiliated with any brands, which I like, too. He's just really 
objectively. Mm. These are the facts. This is what we add. Boom. Mm. And what was the question? Well, I guess, you know, what are the different spectrums that, that we're looking at? Like, if you want to define it, like, you know, are there subgroups that are called certain things, you know, like, as I said before, infrared, mm. is that fitting in, or how, how does that work? The yeah. Huberman actually quoted, and he said, light is probably the most advanced tool to specifically target areas of the human body. So Holy he God. made the comparison of being the most precise surgical tool without surgery. Wow. Because he said like certain wavelengths and you know that's that's well known at the moment. It's like certain wavelengths can trigger certain areas in your body. So you have for instance what he calls the organelles, which is essentially different areas of your cell. You have the nucleus which you know has a DNA, you get the mitochondria. And depending on the cell, the mitochondria might be situated at a different position, different depth essentially. And one knows nowadays that certain wavelengths can First, they can penetrate into the skin, but then they can activate certain parts of the cell based on certain wavelengths. So if you know that and you understand that, okay, we got all these different cells, we get different types of light, we get different types of organelles, mm. different types of organs, and you understand that light, which is made up of wavelengths, it's energy essentially, you know, you can see light as energy, can activate certain parts of your body, which then in turn activate certain genetical programs like tanning for instance we don't have to do anything we just have to go in the sunlight mm. and i think then you know the skin creates pigmentation and pigmentation acts like a uv it's like a protection for the skin to not actually get sunburned we don't have to do anything but you know we know that light activates it and there are other examples like red light and near-infrared therapy red light therapy you know which we also started selling you know for instance that two specific wavelengths activate the mitochondria Hmm. And it's only those two specific wavelengths. And if you spin this forward, and there's a lot of unknowns in light therapy too, but if you know that certain wavelengths activate certain organs, certain cell types, how cool is that? Hmm. I mean, that's so fascinating to actually have this understanding that light influences our health. And the research is coming to to understand that you can actually handpick those wavelengths from nature, but you can also artificially create them, UV lights, red lights, SAD lights, seasonal affective disorder lights, and you can then literally cherry pick whatever health benefits you want to achieve from that. That's just amazing. Like, mm. There's no, and I really like that comparison, there's no surgical tool, uh, tool out there mm. to that precisely trigger certain activations on a cellular level oh. without surgery, without any invasive yeah. aspect. So basically, they, they, would you say they heal the cells? Or that they, they optimize them, or they just trigger a particular function in it. They right? trigger functions, oh. and I think it's really important to say that not all light is good, right? So I think you know it's an activation being good or bad. Like yes. a sunburn definitely shows it was overdone, yeah, and that's due to light, right? So it damages the skin, and I think it can potentially lead to skin cancer, which is a real thing. Okay. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Living in Australia, <laughs> I know you, you guys know all about it's, it. It's a big problem, but I think therefore you problem. definitely want to avoid that, right? Yeah. And I think that just really shows that light, although it's this beautiful aspect, there are ways to overdo it. Like there are UV lights, for instance, out there. And yes, you can stimulate vitamin D production from that and other benefits that UV light has. But you can definitely overdo it. You can burn the skin if it's too intense, and you know that applies even on a cellular level. Like not all light is great, and I think it's really that understanding of yes, light inf impacts my body and I have to be aware of good and bad stuff and I think I have to 
have to make a yeah I have to make a decision of what I want to do. And I think the the best advice that I always love is like you know Mother Nature has most of it. Like you know we if you look at plants they have the photosynthesis I think mm-hmm. that's we call it, um, right? So they have a genetic program too. Like mm-hmm. they just need water and sun, and they create oxygen to thrive, they live and whatever. And so with humans, we have that too. Like, you know, yes, we, you know, essentially the circadian rhythm, like we have a, f- a built-in calendar system, mm. you know, so therefore we know when it's dark, we're supposed to go to bed. When it's daylight, we're supposed to rise up. That's what our ancestors used to do when they lived in caves and they were hunting and whatnot. Mm. Our lifestyle, we don't do that anymore, right? Because we work in desks, so we mm. get children at home and, you know, whatever. Um, and I think therefore a lot of the lifestyle-related diseases are due to lifestyle. And I think... Understanding that light has an impact on your lifestyle is crucial. And I think you, for instance, you measure your sleep using your ring. You mm. understand, like, if you have heavy light exposure, you work light, your sleep score isn't as great. And I think, you know, that's, yes, that might be primarily due to the work and the mental stimulation you get from it. But a big time of that is really from light. Yeah. Any type of light, sets, you know, prevents melatonin, which is obviously the sleep hormone. Um, but I think understanding that light has this impact and we can break it down further and sort of look at biological examples of what we can do mm. is the first step, I think, to really understanding how I can probably optimize my day-to-day life from a light perspective. All right. Well, let's do that. So I'm getting up at, you know, on a good day at five. It's What's the sunrise here? Uh, at the moment, it's just uh, before six. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, right. I mean, you know, the birds are... Noisy that wakes me often up. So yeah. you know, it's it's around that when it's uh, not completely dark anymore outside. Yeah, yeah, great. What do you do then? <laughs> I go into the sauna. <laughs> yeah, great. Okay, so yeah. you do that, but do you get daylight exposure or sunlight? Exposure? Yeah, I'm, I, the sauna's outside. Okay. So I, yeah, I go outside. You yeah. know, I normally walk through our garden naked. So I go good yeah. for the sauna. I have a sauna there actually with a red light in it as well. Is that any good in the morning? Red yeah, light in the morning? Perfect. Yes. Because, you know, I think yeah. in, in the morning you just really want to get as much light as possible, like especially daylight, sunlight and potentially red light if it's dark outside. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, you know, and that comes back to looking at the melatonin cycle that we have. Like, you know, during the day we're supposed to be awake. Like we don't want this we don't want high exposures of melatonin, which is yeah. not just a sleep hormone, it has other benefits too. But you, you know, therefore during the day you want to have light, you know, at, at, in the morning you want to uh-huh. have quite a bit of light to wake up the system to make sure that, you know, the body is being signaled, hey, I'm awake and it's, mm. you know, it's time to get up and not sleep anymore. And then, you know, as, as sort of the sun rises, there's more blue light in the, in the sun, right? So at, at midday you have the highest exposure of blue light, natural blue light, which yeah. is great because the middle of the day like we're not supposed to sleep like it's, yeah. you know it's this, this stimulation that we actually take through the eye but also through the skin like mm. you know blue light through the eyes more uv light through the skin more so mm. you definitely want to expose as much skin as possible at least for a little while mm-hmm. without burning the skin mm. and then sort of towards evening obviously you know the sun sets less blue light most top type of red light and then when it's dark which at the moment i think it's dark at 5 30 mm. you know that's when the melatonin production slowly starts and melatonin is super important it's you know there's actually a bit of research showing that melatonin has an impact on uh, anti-cancer properties right so there seems to be a correlation there it's it's responsible for bone mass it's responsible for the puberty the, the development of the puberty in younger kids or oh, in kids in general so you know it's, it's really complex and the golden ratio is not the more melatonin the better because then you could just simply supplement it like really high dosely and and do that um, but it's more like the consistency of how you go to bed like do you go to bed at every hour of the day like 
you know, do you have a really good sleep rhythm where you wake up every morning at the same time, where you go to bed every morning at the same really time? Consistent. Because yeah. that's almost like the calendar system. Like yeah. your body is getting used to that, which means like certain genetical programs and triggers are being sort of run most effectively. Whereas if you go to bed one day at mm. 8 a.m., 8 p.m., and the other one at 11.30 p.m., your body can't really adjust. And with that, like your whole melatonin cycle, your genetic progress or whatever can't really operate the same effect. Yeah, it's like a muscle. Like the more you train it, yeah. the better your whole system actually adapts to that. And it's the same with melatonin, right? So therefore, and then when it's dark, essentially it's the time to really slowly wind down. You know, if it, I know if it, you know, if it's dark early and you can't go to bed, obviously at 6 p.m. where you could, but, you know, you'd be up in the middle of the night. Then I think it's really good to be aware of high quality light sources. So because, you know, blue light, especially any light at nighttime or when it's dark, suppresses melatonin. Okay. But some light is worse than others, like blue light LEDs, for instance. They have a flicker rate, but they also have blue light, right? So our eye absorbs yeah. it, and it's being signaled, hey, I'm awake, you know, hey, it's not yeah, time to wind down. It's, right. right. And I think, therefore, the classical light bulb, you know, that's a great way because it doesn't have LEDs. It's, you know, it's more sort of on the, on the warmer spectrum, less blue light, sort of more infrared type of light, mm-hmm. a bit more heat as well. Candles are a great source, too, because it's, again, no blue light. So really try to at least reduce... The lighter it gets, reduce your blue light exposure. Blue mm-hmm. light is LED screens, ceiling LEDs, computers, TVs, whatever you name it. Try to read a book, use a, can- a candle or whatever. And I think with that, your melatonin level will rise. And I think your body is being saying, hey, you know, I'm tired end of the day. And you might have a yawn or, you know, and really feel like, oh, you know, I'm getting a bit heavy and yeah. you know, it's time to wind down. And I think an interesting one that Huberman also revealed is like, if you say you go to bed at, 1 a.m., which is probably the peak, like that's when your melatonin is the highest okay. through the cycle and the genetica program. You really want to make sure that you don't flip on a light. Like, because at that moment, when you flip on a bright light, although you might feel like, oh, you know, well, it's just a light or whatever, your eyes absorb it in the pineal gland, which is part of your brain. It's being stimulated. It's like, hey, it's time to relax. Light here. Oh, I don't want to go back to sleep. So you were saying when you get up at night for whatever reason, go to the toilet or something like that. No, no light. light. Keep no it light dark. Exposure at yeah. all. Really Zero. make sure that you have. Oh, but also in your sleeping room, like really try to keep yeah. the light out. Like yeah. Really have a dark blackout cur- like like yeah. curtains. Yeah. No light, or if you need to use light, maybe a satellite, like a lighting strip underneath furniture, so yeah. that it's an indirect light right minimal. Because any type of light essentially immediately reduces your melatonin and that's one of the key things for good sleep mm. but as research shows it's bone mass it's you know certain anti anti anti-cancer properties etc and there's a whole lot of more research coming into that cool i want to dig dig a little bit deeper in, in a couple of, of parts of the day and then let, let's switch to like you know how you can use supplement light even so you were talking about in the morning you know get get natural light as soon as you can and so thinking about most most of us you know live in cities in some ways and shapes and form and i guess an easy hack if you want to even call it that it's like maybe your kitchen doesn't have you know a window and what you can do is you grab your beverage of choice in the morning and uh you know the news or however whatever you do in the morning if, if you don't exercise or even if you do exercise you want to do it in your 
living room of your apartment where you get natural light in on your balcony. Yep. You just want to somehow expose you as much as possible and nothing that's actually quite a simple simple change, right? You know, out of habit, you sort of stay next to, like, in the, in the kitchen and just do it there. But really, if you think about it, these 20 minutes, you could actually really put in your favor by going where the natural light is, huh? 100%. Maybe just a tip on that. You want to also get UV light as early as you can in the morning. And Part of the sun spectrum, yes? Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. ultraviolet light, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's obviously what is responsible for the tanning, but I think it's a lot more complex. Like it's really absorbed well by the skin and not talking about vitamin D, but mm. I think gen generally about just having that type of light, which is absorbed by the eyes and by the skin. And most windows block UV light. Yeah. Them, you know, they reflect it. Like they, you know, they. To protect the furniture, is it? Well, I don't know. I mean, yes, potentially. And like, bring less heat in it. Because UV is yes. quite aggressive, right? Like if yes. you, if you have outer furniture or whatever, you mm. know, it, it'll bleach it. Like mm. some of the oils or whatever, they might peel off, right? So there's yeah. a good reason on why you want to have UV protection. But I think, and you know, it's, it's good that windows have it, as you said, but you know, if it's a matter of opening the window and then doing exercise yeah. or doing it on the balcony, if it's warm yeah. enough, great, go for yeah. it. Because, You know, it might not look like much, but the UV light aspect doesn't penetrate through glass. It doesn't penetrate through sunglasses, mm -hmm. too, right? Because sunglasses have a UV protection. And you want some of the UV light being absorbed through the eyes. But I think it's also like this whole emissivity thing. Like if, if there's a white object, it'll reflect the sun. It's the same with a window. It's the same with the sunglass. Like it'll reflect a lot of the sun back. I just want to quickly ask. So, you know, people do their exercise outside in the morning, ideally as less covered as possible yeah if you can yeah yeah because yeah. right that's where the benefits come in when you expose your skin to it huh yeah eye and skin yeah just really get as much daylight as you can yeah 100 okay very just cool. to wake up the body to make sure that you know your circadian rhythm which is like the the rhythm that your body actually has in order to understand hey i want to get up now and hey mm. i want to go to bed now yeah more complex than that Ways more complex, which involves genetical hormone programs that actually are released at certain hours, like the melatonin, for instance. Mm -hmm. The fact that it automatically releases towards 5 or 6 p.m. when it gets dark, I mean, that's a genetical program that our body has sort of preset, and we don't have to do a lot. We just have to make sure that we're light aware, mm -hmm. and therefore, you know, definitely try to get as much daylight as possible, especially in the morning. Mm. Fast forwarding to midday. So you were saying, you know, blue light is actually really good. That, that keeps the body awake. Yes. Uh, many people of us spend most of their time inside yes. in one way or another, many people in offices. So offices, I guess, traditionally had, you know, the fluorescent lights that, that has probably changed a lot because there are other issues with it. The spectrum might be actually quite good. I don't know. It flickers though. Uh, I think there's still an issue with, yeah, I, I think any type of indoor lighting. Right. Because, you know, the traditional light bulbs and, and certain parts of the world are actually not allowed anymore. They're not being produced because they consume a lot of electricity. Mm. People don't necessarily look at whether the wavelength is good. They just look at, oh, what's the electricity saving we can yeah. achieve here? And I think a lot of modern offices don't have any, hardly any windows or, you know, yeah, there's not a lot of daylight coming in anyway. Yes. So that whole trick of I have my lunch break and I eat it outside and I feel awake has something right. to do with taking a break, probably, probably eating something, getting your mind off it, but also massively light. with the light. Yeah. Right. Because that's the right spectrum to stay awake, huh? Oh, 100%. I think, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, at the moment, there's a lot of blue light blocking technology, glasses, mm. you, sunglasses, I think, are coming out. I even saw, like, a blue light blocking cream, which, or lotion, body lotion, which is, like, ridiculous. Mm. But I think you see a lot of people wearing blue light blockers during the day. There's no reason. Like, I no, mean, that I understand, like sense, yeah. LED screens, mm. they're not dangerous per se. 
Mm. Like it's yes, it's blue light and it's artificial, but it's not like it's dangerous, right? And I think therefore there's not really a reason and a necessity to wear blue-looking glasses during the day. In fact, it might actually create the opposite effect, <laughs> right? Because you're not, you may actually not have enough blue light during the day, and you might feel tired or whatever. It's probably more complex, mm. and I think someone else who's even more quali- who's more qualified would probably answer this in a, in a in a more sophisticated way. But generally speaking, if you want to maximize daylight, and mm. daylight during the middle of the day is blue light, there's no reason to wear blue light blocking glasses throughout the day. At night time, 100%, mm. you know, if you work on screens. So what time would you start to use glasses When it's dark. So when basically dark, mimicking yeah. what, what, what the sun But only when you have blue light exposure, right? Like if someone actually, I don't know, has only candles and doesn't work on a computer, doesn't have a smartphone, there's no reason f- for them to wear it. But, you know, say at 7 p.m. you have to take a flight back from Sydney to Brisbane mm. or from London to Manchester, and there's, you know, in the airport, in the plane, everything's artificial light. Hell yeah, you want to wear blue locker, uh-huh. blue lockers, right? Yeah. Because it really depends on your lifestyle. And blue blockers are great, you know, absolutely. Yeah. But only when you have blue light exposure that you don't want to have. It also helps with later on making sure that the melatonin cycle mm. essentially kicks in. Because if you haven't had a lot of blue light, your body may have actually never have been signaled. It's like, hey, I got enough daylight now. Mm. I'm thriving, I'm awake, and, you know, everything's working well. And if you don't have that, it might actually delay the melatonin release again. So is there one light that is best f- to combat depression, or is it more using the right light at the right time that creates more the natural ones? So, so I guess my mm. question is, what, what light is best against depression? Could, could you say there is one or the other, or is it, is it not a simple? Question. It's certainly one of the hot topics when it comes to research at the moment, and I think depression is so complex mm. that you probably can't really generally say that light is going to cure depression. I think, will it help? Absolutely. Mm. I, I 100%, 100% believe that. Yeah. And there probably are studies showing that too, and that's from my own experience. It's like if I'm in the sun and I've been out, I'm less hungry. Mm. I have more serotonin and dopamine actually being released as a consequence. I've yeah, got more vitamin D, got more energy in general, and therefore I tend to be more happy. Yeah. So I think any type of light is really good. Like, you know, try definitely sunlight, which is the ultimate biohack, if you want to call it. Just go out there and enjoy it. You know, it's free, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And even if it's cloudy, okay. still mean, like, the sun is still shining. And yes, it might be less intense. And you might have to be out there longer, but you're still getting UV light. You're still getting sunlight, right? You can still get a tan. In fact, there are probably instances here where if you just out in the sun for two hours when it's cloudy, you, you still get a sunburn because it's so, so intense. But yeah, there are other things like there's a lot of red light and depression talks at the moment because depression may be linked to circadian rhythm and, you know, not having actually good, good quality sleep, you know, being, there's this thing called seasonal affective disorder, which is sort of in German, in Germany or Europe, we call it winter depression, mm-hmm. you know, when there's a lack of light, yeah. we feel more sad, we feel sort of, we have less energy and, you know, if we understand that light can actually help the body to generate energy, be it mitochondria activation, vitamin D, melatonin release, I think you can connect the dots and say light certainly has the power to stimulate the body in a good way. Um, yeah. So definitely, I think maximize any light, seasonal affective disorder lights, maybe UV lights, although they're sort of a bit controversial. Use sunlight, maybe red light therapy if you have one. But there's also been, we haven't talked about infrared, you know, which is more heat, but it's also light infrared light. There was a study last year that showed, that looked at hypothermia, right, which is a heat treatment. So you essentially... Mm through light, which is energy, in this case heat, you expose these people that suffered from, from depression 
to, well, you got them in the sauna dome and raise the core temperature beyond comfortable levels for a couple of times, and it's drastically reduced depression markers. I think Dr. Ashley Mason was the researcher who did that. She mm. had a presentation with Rhonda Patrick too, right? So I think it also seems that heat, which is energy as well, and which is light as well, mm. also seems to affect depression on in one level, in one way or the other. Like yeah. it's complex. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But just on a really simple level, because infrared, when when you have high quality infrared that, that has a certain wavelength or a certain certain spectrum of wavelength is very very similar if not identical to a human hug so you know like it's actually the infrared that, that the body gives off and a hug can help like you know for me like when i go into my sauna in the morning and i sit down it's certainly that feeling of nurturing i guess you know it's it's something that yeah. I, I see and and i can only imagine what it's like when you're depressed and you know you get you know a daily hug like that for, I was for depressed work. I think for you know a couple of months and I, you know I did a therapy on that yeah um, okay. not just a small complex you know family and, yeah. and traumas and whatnot but I was certainly not in a good headspace and yeah what happened is I was like you know I would lock myself in and I would just you know be indoors most of the time probably mm. on the computer play computer games and you know isolate myself from that and oh. just you know I think it'll be interesting to see what would have happened if I went out to Portugal, Australia, whatever, surfing, and whether that actually would have helped me mentally. And I believe so, mm. just from the travel experiences and understanding that light actually impacts our health or hormones yeah. and whatever. I believe so, but, you know, it's a couple of years ago, you know, so eight, nine, ten years ago. Huh. Right, so so when, when we think about what, what can we do to supplement light, you were mentioning, so there's, there's infrared, infrared saunas normally, I suppose, and then you have red light therapy mm. which is would you call it just red light or is it sort of like red light in the end for red yeah, together 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 that's yeah. that that's a trick yeah yeah oh yeah i mean listen, i think supplementing light is probably a bit misleading because i think you could also take melatonin which is you could consider that like you yeah. know so i think the word supplements i don't know it's not my area of expertise mm. i just know that you know a couple of people including dr huberman and dr alexander wunsch who's a, who's a german light researcher they definitely say shy away from any supplements mm. that sort of are hormone related like melatonin which is normally right. a, a consequence <clears throat> or like a, a result from good light exposure because mm. they're often overdosed mm -hmm. like it's way too intense and ah. therefore it might actually even throw some people mm -hmm. off especially during when they're sick or during pregnancy so definitely not try to do that or at least seek some external advice on that but you know i think number one daylight sunlight so early morning when the sun is hardly right just go out mm. immediately go for a walk grab your coffee do your exercise do your meditation outside if you can sunlight go for walks throughout the day then red light therapy red light and here infrared therapy is one of the most well-researched type of light therapy out there two very specific wavelengths 600 to 660 nanometers 800 to 870 nanometers lots of studies showing you know boost of energy even a testosterone increases for men right so the list goes on and on and on like mm. a lot of different research pro athletes in the u.s use it hollywood stars use it for skin improvements more collagen production so it's really not a reason to not do it Then you can get a UV light artificial. Also, you know, that's quite intense. Like, you know, it's like a tanning studio. You just have to really make sure that you're not burning. Not advised to use a tanning studio. I think we can just do it by going out on the sun. Mm. But some, you know, in the northern areas, for instance, in northern Europe, where I think at times there's five hours daylight, 
you know, that could actually be a really, really nice alternative. There are uh, SAD lights, seasonal affective disorders, really, really bright light. Um, and I think a few people even have it on your desk, right? So you could just have it on constantly to make sure that you actually, even in an office or when you work at home, you get more light than you can. Ah. You know, it's really blue light, so, right? You want to use it in the middle of the day, not at nighttime or early in the morning. That mm. would be the alternative. Infrared saunas are a great way. Yeah. You know, it's more like the heat treatment, but certain saunas have full spectrum, which includes near infrared again. You know, there's color light therapy out there, which yeah. is again different colors that are perceived through the eyes and sort of activate certain genetic programs as well. So a whole lot of things. But then, you know, to prevent negative effects of light, you know, you can look at blue light blocking glasses, certainly. I don't know if there's such word as conscious tanning, you know, just to really make sure that <laughs> you get your sun exposure out there, but don't overdo it. Yeah. So you just have to look at, at both ways. But I think the most most hacks or most improvements are lighter for free, mm. which is sunlight, UV light, blue light, red light. You know, they're all part of the daylight spectrum. And, yeah. you know, yes, there are ways to improve it, and that's red light, infrared zonas, UV light, and then maybe blue light blockers. Now, Johannes, let's just change gear here a little bit because uh, we have now a rapid-fire question section called People Also Ask, and I got a couple of questions here. What are the three types of light therapy that you're aware of? Oh, I don't know whether there are three types. I would probably say there are more. Um, I would be infrared sauna, red light therapy, UV light, sunlight, daylight, color light therapy. So I would count seven, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know what three they refer to. What disorders are you aware of that are treated by light therapy. Ooh, I'm not a doctor or mm. a naturopath or expert on this, but I'd certainly say there's a lot happening with depression, with seasonal affective disorder, with, I think, autism as well, although I'm not 100% sure. Circadian rhythm, uh, sleep improvement, overall, I think, mental well-being. So that would probably be it. Yeah. Mm. And who should not use light therapy or in which circumstances? Oh, again, not a doctor, but I think there's certain conditions where I think light may cause seizures or any sort of intense reactions, like similar to claustrophobic. When someone's claustrophobic, I think a narrow room or a small entrance may actually cause, cause certain panics. I think there's certain types of people where light can actually well, light can actually stimulate it in a bad way. And I know a few friends that almost have like a little bit of a sun allergy, like get a rash from that. Mm. You know, I have two friends that actually do that. So they have to be really careful when it comes to exposing themselves to too much sunlight. That's purely sunlight, though. And then I think there are also other symptoms where if someone uses an infrared sauna or heat in general, where some hormones or some aspects in the body aren't functioning 100%. And I think, therefore, that might actually cause discomfort. Rhetoric question is, is light therapy good for you? Oh. <laughs> yes! <laughs> okay, there you go, here you go. <laughs> How long does it take for light therapy to work? Oh gosh, what are these questions? <laughs> it depends. Yeah. There's no simple black and white and yes answer. Go out there, explore it with yourself, ask yourself honest questions. See how you feel, and I think really ask yourself honestly the question is this, is this actually the right thing to do? Yeah. Uh, what light is best for depression? It depends. <laughs> yeah, it's more the rhythm almost, huh? Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I mean, we talked about, uh, we will talk about maximizing daylight. I think that's key. Maximizing sunlight, which has infrared, near-infrared, red light. So it has all these spectrums in there. So I would I'd probably say, like, sunlight, mm. yeah, just without burning yourself. Does light therapy help anxiety? I 
probably say it can. Too complex. I'm mm-hmm. not a therapist. I'm, you know, I can't diagnose what anxiety, you know, what anxiety or how anxiety is triggered and how it's actually being resolved. I think it's way too complex. So mm-hmm. I'd say it depends. It can, but try probably, it, yeah. yeah, try it. And I think work with a therapist on that. Like, uh, yeah. What should I put on my face before I use LED light therapy? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Naked. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Can you overdo LED light therapy? Not that I know. I think certainly when we call about LED therapy and we say red light and near-infrared therapy, which is using LEDs, for some people it may be, you know, a, a small rash might actually build if they're not really used to that. So, you know, some people have photosensitivity. I think mm-hmm. that's what you call it. So the test is really to expose, say, your forearm or underarm or, you know, maybe even your leg or whatever to that for a couple of seconds and actually see whether it works well. If you don't have a reaction, mm. try 10 minutes. I've never heard of any complications when it comes to overdoing it. Mm. Might, it's really intense, so therefore don't look at it in, in it directly because mm. it's, you know, it's just ways too intense. You'll only see like blue and, and green after that. But you can't overdo it, I, I think. Very cool. Does light therapy give you vitamin D? Well, I'd say it can if you define light therapy as UV light or sunlight. Red light and near-infrared therapy, no. Seasonal affective disorder therapy or, you know, or daylights or, mm-hmm. you know, SAD lights, no. You know, in order for vitamin D to be produced, you require ultraviolet light and other light components too, but primarily UVB. Got it. Does light therapy help with sleep? I would say yes, although we'd have to really define what light therapy does. I think, we, you know, sleep is wise more complex. It really depends on your circadian rhythm. How much daylight are you getting? You know, how much light are you getting at night, which you don't want? Mm. So it really it depends. Lovely. That was very rapid. When I think about the length that actually would make a difference, do you have some some <laughs> minutes or hours in your head? I, it sounds like the m- more the natural light, the better, you know, without burning yourself and all the rest of it. But do you have any markers of like, hey, if you are in front of red light, you know, that's normally what's considered a good idea. This is how long infrared I actually would know a marker there. And, and, and so mm. on. So got some, some numbers there in your head? I think some are easier to quantify than others. Like red light is quite simple because, you know, it's, there are different qualities of red light and different energy densities that you sort of run or really yeah. have. And I think it's, if it's good, if it's a good light, uh, the energy equivalent is, I think, six joule per minute. Like that's the energy that is being emitted from the red light and that can be absorbed by your body. Mm-hmm. And I think that's at a distance of 10 to 15 centimeters away. So it's, it's quite close. So that's really important, right? Like yeah, if you, you do these really types close. of devices, you really have to be close to it. There's no point having it somewhere on the well, wall. Well, you can. Like you, okay. if you're further away, you just have to be longer in there. Yeah. Like, you know, but I think, you know, the maximum, okay. the most effective way is 15 centimeter distance, eight to 10 minutes exposure that equals 60 joule of energy mm-hmm. being absorbed by your body. And that's probably, I think the research has shown that that's about the maximum that can be absorbed. Yeah per area that you expose yourself, right? So if you put it on your skin, mm. you could then do your chest or you could do the back or your leg, depending yeah. on what sort of area of the body you want to treat it. Like if you want to use it for whole body treatment, maybe you have a bigger panel, 10 minutes in front, 10 minutes in back, so that's 20 minutes. You could sip your coffee while you do that. You could probably read, you could meditate or whatever. So that's the easiest. UV light and sunlight, very complex because we know that people that live closer to the equator different pigmentation, right? So, you mm. know, the, the darker skin, essentially, which is, in lay terms, more UV protection. Yes. Right? But they need more sunlight, too, because genetically, these bodies are sort of ready to absorb more sunlight, right? So, therefore, yeah. they need more sunlight. 
in order to really make sure that they cover the vitamin D doses and the the sort of daily dose of sunlight, if you want to call it. Whereas people that live in the northern hemispheres or in the Arctics or whatever, they don't need a lot. And they burn quickly too. Like even here in Australia, but same in Germany and Europe, you see people often, you know, more red hair, pale skin. Yeah. They don't need a lot of sunlight. In fact, they burn quite quickly because their bodies and their genetics and the DNA actually isn't really equipped to deal with large exposures of UV and sunlight, right? Mm. So it really depends on where you're at with that. And I think you can train it. Like if you probably move from Finland to Portugal and, you know, and you out of a sudden have a lot more sun, in the beginning it will be really hard because you probably burn your skin straight away. But you can train your body actually to do that, right? So you, in the beginning it might only do five minutes of sunlight and then you'll burn. But eventually I think you can work your way up to that and really train your body through pigmentation, through sort of activating certain aspects in the body, certain genetic programs, to actually then have more exposure to light, similar to how you train sun gazing. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like that wasn't natural to you. No. But you've worked your way up. And, and with saunas, it's again highly highly subjective to where you're at with your journey. Like some people really like it extreme and they can handle that because the fitness and, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, I think, you know, the way their skin reacts and the way they sweat, like if they're fast sweaters, that means actually the body starts cooling off straight away. Whereas someone, when we have a few people that something, oh, I don't sweat, I don't sweat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we say, well, give it another five to 10 sessions yeah. and your break is sweat because they're just not used to that. So again, I think it really depends on where you're at. Don't overdo it. I think that's a critical one. You have to be comfortable, maybe slightly at the edge of the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Take three breaths, go out and recharge. And if you get a headache the next day, you feel exhausted as opposed to relaxed and whatever, you've overdone it. Like it's quite mm. simple. That's how I would probably describe it, but keen to yeah. hear your, oh. your thoughts. Well, you know, like the one formulation from Mark Cohen that comes to mind is visit the discomfort for a minute or two. Yeah. You know, just go to the discomfort, visit it. And then back off. Yeah, great. And, and I, th- I find that really helpful. I know what that yeah. feels like. Yeah. Same with cold showers, hey? Like, I, you know, I think no one actually really likes them at the beginning. It's like, oh, it's nice and warm. You, right. it's like, mm. you know, but then it almost can become like a good addiction. Mm. You know, it can be a bad addiction too, right? But I think generally speaking, like, you can enjoy the discomfort. And I think people always say, well, you know, out of the comfort zone, that's where the growth begins. And I think it's true. Like, you know, it's, you have to make sure that you don't overdo it. But, with cold showers, with saunas, with light therapy, just really make sure that you, yeah, it's slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. Because mm. that's where the growth is. Unless, but don't sunburn. Golden rule. So. Got it. Yeah. Just to put that sort of really bluntly. So if I ask which color light helped me with sleep, you would, what I heard you saying is like basically no light. You can wind down with certain colors and that's as close to a candle as possible sort of thing. It sounded like an indirect light. But when it comes to how do I sleep, it's really, block out the street light that you have outside or the full moon even to completely get that melatonin hit that is uninterrupted by any light source, yeah? Yeah, I mean, that's true. At least that's my understanding of actually it being true. Like, because, you know, whenever light is in the room or you, you know, it's sort of your eyes can actually absorb the light, Mm. that means something happens in your body, right? Like you see the light, and you sort of saw certain certain cell types in your body that mm. activate then the pineal gland. And these may immediately trigger certain hormone programs, mm. may certain activations or deactivations. And the big thing is like light interrupts melatonin. Mm-hmm. Any light does, right? Yeah. But I think some light is better than others. Like UV light 
is so tricky because it's absorbed through the eyes more effectively than infrared, for instance. Okay. Like UV light or blue light through the eyes, whereas as, as of the skin, it doesn't really activate the same pineal gland and melatonin programs. But I think you can't really look at it and just say, no light and my melatonin and my sleep will be great. Mm -hmm. Equally, if not more important, is that you get enough light during the day. Because, you know, that guarantees that at the evening, your body has had all the energy and, you know, it helps, you know, have a functional circadian rhythm. Because if you, if you just wear darkness 24 seven, mm. that would also mess you up completely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I had lived like that for a few months. It was interesting. Crazy. Yes. Yeah. yeah, going to bed. I think I would fall back up. into depression if I didn't have light, like you know, so yeah, like your own yeah. cave and yeah, no no daylight at all and yeah. Yeah. So I think definitely, I mean, maximize light during the day and at night do the opposite, <laughs> reduce light where possible. Like it's quite simple actually when you think about it that way. Just really quickly, give me a price range of of these types of. So you were talking about mm. four different things, you know, blue blockers. I don't know, probably a hundred and two hundred Aussie dollars. So mm. probably. 140 US dollars if you find a good one. And you, you can put that as part of your normal prescription glasses as well, huh? Yeah, I, don't, I know, I know optometrists do that. Yeah. But I don't really think they block the entire spectrum. Like I'd probably right. rather go with like a, like a really good like health company. Orange looking company. one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Just really right. orange or red so that you really block out all the blue light. Yeah. I think these optometrists, they block out certain, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Red light panels, again, different sizes. Smallest one is probably two, three hundred dollars. That's probably 20 times mm -hmm. 10 centimeters up to, you know, a couple of thousands, depending on how big you go. I think quality wise, all the same. No, I think you want to have low flicker. You want to have, we want to really make sure that the energy and the output is actually good based on distance or proximity. Yeah. You want to make sure that they obviously have the wavelengths that Beneficial. Yeah, which are again six 60, 660 or 670 mm -hmm. nanometers, 8 to 860, 870 mm -hmm. nanometers. Um, so it's red and near infrared combined. Mm -hmm. SAD lights or season affective disorder lights or day, in Germany they just call them daylights. They're probably, I think, depending on the size, 50, 60, 70, 80 dollars up to okay. a couple of hundreds, depending on how big you go. Yeah. I don't understand the quality aspect. Yeah. Well enough. And then infrared saunas. Again, like I think you can buy something for a couple of hundred pounds uh, or dollars, wow. which may not be the right frequency and wavelength and intensity materials. I think it's a very different topic, up to obviously several thousands or ten thousands if you want to have a really, really good infrared sauna. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Great. So quite, quite vast differences. Yeah. And UV light, don't know the price range. I've seen a few that are a couple of thousands. Yeah. Might be cheaper too, I think, depending again how big or small you go. Yeah. Um, but I'd probably be cautious with that because... Yeah, it's really like you want to get the right frequency. Not that, yeah, not just that, but I think depending on where you're at and what your skin type is, where you live, what your genetics are, it's really difficult, I think, to really figure out the ideal intensity of UV exposure. I think it'll be a lot easier to just practice it on a day-to-day -day basis by going out in nature, going for a walk. Got it. Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks for talking in depth about this light therapy topic and I would like to now just switch gear for some final questions that are more to do with you than actually mm. light therapy and that's what at the moment is your most the most important aspect of your health well I'd be I'd be funny if I didn't say light well <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you know I mean I'm a sauna nut I'm a light nut so I think it's definitely that awareness around saunas heat exposure light exposure I use my red light and try to go out there for daylight as much as possible I love ice baths, love cold showers. Yeah, you do love that. I love, I love that. that I think. Yeah. And I think sleep. 
I think if I'm not sleeping well, I'm not the same. I don't mm. function the same way. And, you know, everything we've heard around light and the effects on sleep, good or bad, that makes perfect sense. But I think sleep is more complex. Like, I think I sleep really well when my partner lies next to me. I think it just really has that easing and relaxing aspect of that, right? So mm. the moment she's not here with me, which means, like, I definitely don't sleep as well as I could. So that's an interesting one for sure. Very cool. What would you recommend people trying? Like, what's what's on your mind at the moment to support their well-being right now? Like, I think, uh, you know, if I hopefully my desire for this, for those that have listened to this, is to empower people to understand that light impacts our well-being, impacts our mood, impacts our sleep. And for those that where this may be new, is you know, maybe do some self-experiments. Like mm. That would be, I think, you know, try that. Try what it would be like if you were to watch a movie. Mm for two or three hours at night time. Don't blame me on bad sleep, though. <laughs> and then try what it would be like if you were to, you know, put a can put candles on and read a book or meditate or play a board game with your partner or friend. Like. Mm -hmm. And just maybe even ask yourself honest questions like, you know, how would you rate the sleep? How would you rate your overall state of being? You can, you can spin these experiments off and you can say, well, what would it be like if I go for a surf early morning or good for a run as opposed to, Not actually going out there and enjoying the daylight, but rather out of bed straight to work and see, you know, does it make a difference in the way I feel and, you know, the way I am today? And I think that's probably my, that's, that will be the wish for people to go out there and actually experiment and see that. And whether you want to then invest into artificial light sources, wonderful too, but I don't like, you know, these are all fixes, but they don't treat the root cause mm. like and I think you know the root cause is really our lifestyle and the lack of awareness around light and that would be I just love for people to understand this mm. and to practice and I think the way you practice it and the way you would ask yourself these questions that's up to you like I think we can help you with a little guidebook maybe that's actually a nice idea to with this episode to sort of post a couple of questions mm. but yeah that I'd, I'd love that to happen nice one Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. My name is Sebastian Mirau, and I was here with Johannes Kettelhout, my business partner at Clearlight Saunas International. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do like it, subscribe if you feel like it, sign up, whatever you like, and comment is always really nice. If you have any suggestions of how we can improve any particular questions we left out that you won't have answered, just put it below. We hope you got a lot out of today's inspiring conversation. Please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Whether they are a seasoned health expert or just beginning their wellness journey, these stories of remarkable transformation, success and valuable insights will certainly help empower more people. Until next time, have the best life ever.